Last week, we kind of landed in verse 17, crash landed if you ask me, and we didn't really polish that off, so we'll start in verse 17 this week. I won't, last week I read the whole chapter, I'll forbear that this week. We'll just start in verse 17, we'll get up through verse 27, uh, hopefully. Okay, verse 17, and it starts like in the middle of a thought. And we'll explain that. If children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, yay, if so be that we suffer with him, (laughs) that we may also be glorified together. Verse 16, the Spirit himself, he bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. How does he do that? We didn't venture to offer a an explanation how he does that. He does that. In my life, it may look different from the way it looks in your life. But God, the Spirit of God in our lives, bears witness that we're the children of God. And you say, what are you talking about? Well, far be it for me to be judgmental. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's maybe because you haven't experienced that. I know I'm a child of God because the Spirit of God bears witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God. And you say, I have no idea what you're talking about. Maybe that's because you need to be born again. Maybe that's because you need to ask Jesus Christ to save you from your sins and adopt you and make you his very child. And then you'll know what we're talking about. Sometimes... The, the, the proof of the pudding is in the eating thereof. Sometimes you just have to experience to experience. That's, that's all, that, there's no other way. I could talk about this for a long time, and if you haven't experienced it, I, I'm droning on and on and on, and you still won't have it experienced it. And if you are an experiencer, there's no sense in me talking about it because you already know. That's verse 16. And if children, since children could be there, then heirs. What is an heir? Well, an heir is somebody who, like, okay, when I die, that, that boy back there, he's, he's my heir. He's the heir apparent. He's the one who's going to get all my stuff, which means he's going to get all my credit card bills, my Jeep payments, and he has no use for Jeeps whatsoever, and he just got all, he gets it all, right? All the goodies, right? Uh, he, but, um, you know, there may be a, a dollar or two stashed away for my retirement. He'll get, you know, that also to help pay my credit card bills and my Jeep payments and all that stuff. Uh, he, he gets everything I have. That's what it means to be an heir. Wouldn't that be a really cool thing if people didn't have to die? Imagine you had this, like, uncle who you don't even know exists. And he's like, doesn't have kids, and he leaves like huge money to you. I mean, sick money, like money that you're, here's an estate with like an upstairs maid and an upstairs, upstairs maid, because he's got like three or four floors, and he's got like a butler and an under butler, and he's got like a, a, a guy who drives him around, and and don't worry, he's got all the money to support that staff. He's got like sick money, and you didn't even know he existed. He dies and leaves you, and you're not really sad that he died. And he leaves you all that like crazy, that's kind of, doesn't happen. You know, it happens in the movies, right? It doesn't happen in real life. Somebody leaves us stuff, mom passed away. She wasn't a wealthy woman. But, you know, when everything was, liquidate and stuff, you know, I got a check in the mail. It wasn't a big check. I mean, I'm not, didn't move me up like one notch in life. You know, I was lower class and now I'm lower middle. You know, it didn't, it didn't you know what I mean? It didn't, but, but that, I, it's good to receive a check in the mail, but mom died. And I was kind of like, oh, you know, I don't know, if your mom passed away, it's not a fun day. Um, but here we are, joint heirs with God. You're saying, well, God's never going to die, Adam. I know, I know. But he's like the father in the parable. <laughs> he gives his stuff away while he's still alive, uh, which is kind of a good thing. What does God have? Oh, I don't know, cattle on a thousand hills. I've said before, we think the earth is worth about a decillion dollars. 
say, what's a decillion dollars? Well, it's 10 novillions. What's a novillion? It's 10 octillions. And if I go all the way back, it's a number with so many zeros on the end of it. We could all be billionaires, every one of us, thousands of times over. A billion's a lot of dollars, okay? And th because the earth has enough wealth, enough resources, there's plenty to go around. Well, how come this poor? Well, we'll get into that. We'll get into that, as a matter of fact. There's a lot of suffering. But we're joined heirs with God, with, with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Say, I knew there was a catch. No, it's not a catch. It's we are going to suffer with him. You say, well, why is that? Let me give you the short. Suffering is part of God's plan for us. Why? Well, it refines us. It makes us more like Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ suffered. And in the plan of God, he has suffering lined up for us. He's saying, I don't know that I like that. Well, <laughs> I, don't, I can't change it. But we, it, it works out advantageously. It works out to a good place. And I could go to many scriptures that talk about that and we will, no doubt, in the future, because you can't turn too many pages in Scripture, but it's talking about suffering. And we've looked at that. We've had whole sermons on that based on what we were studying at the time. Here, I don't, I don't want to talk about the suffering as much as I want to talk about verse 18. I reckon. Reckoning, we don't talk about, hey, I reckon, you know, we don't reckon around here. We're not from Texas, you know, we don't. But it, it just means, hey, I've figured out a few things. I've calculated some stuff. I, I, I guess what? I, I figured this out. I reckon, Paul says, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. If you put suffering on a scale and you put the glory that will be revealed, not to us, in us, Suffering doesn't even come close to weighing as much. Saying, I've suffered significantly. You have no idea. Maybe I don't. Maybe I don't. I look at my own life. Yeah, I'm suffering. <laughs> you, you breathe long enough. You keep breathing. You're going you're to have suffering. And I look around the room and I, I know some of the stories. I get it. You're saying... My suffering is significant, Adam. And Paul's saying, it's not, worthy be, it's not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. They don't, they don't weigh as much. He's saying, yeah, well, Paul doesn't know me either. What does Paul know? Ah, I'm glad you asked. You can open up to 2 Corinthians, but I'm going to read it from a version that uh, we don't normally use from the New Living Translation. Uh, and I just kind of want to... He's talking about uh, people who serve Christ, and he says, are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. Now, here's what he... This is Paul's resume of suffering. We haven't been here in a while. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. And all of us have already tapped out. Paul's got it over us, and we didn't even start yet, really. This is kind of like the prelude to the sufferings of Paul. Uh, five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. That's not like Maybelline product. That's whip, right? 39 times 5, you can do the math. Ouch. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. You say, I used to get stoned. Not that type of stone. He was beaten with rocks until he died stoned. At Lystra, okay? Uh, Derby. One, we, we know all about that in, uh, in the book of Acts. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Shipwreck would be a harrowing experience, would it not? 
He's had three of them. The one that we read about in the end of the book of Acts, I think it's Acts chapter 27, is not included. He wrote, I've been shipwrecked three times, and he hasn't, he wrote that before he went to Rome and, and get shipwrecked again and ended up on Malta. You remember that story as it's outlined in the book of Acts. So I was shipwrecked three times. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. Talk about harrowing. I, I'm not into this. I, I swim like a fish. But I don't want to be hanging on a piece of driftwood for a day and a night. <laughs> uh, the, the Jaws theme would be in my head the whole time where I'd be thinking about the USS Indianapolis or something horrific like that. I just, ah! Uh, I don't want to be adrift in the sea. Not even for an hour, never mind a whole day and a whole night. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers uh, and from robbers. I have faced dangers from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, on the seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, and during many sleepless nights I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold with enough, without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then, besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. It's not just physical, it's emotional also. I care about the churches and what's going on in all the churches all the time. Anyone want to compare your suffering with Paul's suffering? You say, well, what is this, a contest? No, 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 no. It's not who suffered most. That's not the point. The point is this man who knows something about suffering says, yeah, you can't even compare them. His glory and his suffering. You're saying, why is that important? Uh, it's important because we're going to suffer and it makes us more like Jesus Christ and it's it's... The, if, if there's a, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now, he doesn't tell how unless he does with this passage. And I think that this is one of the ways, not the only way, but one of the most significant ways that the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit. Now, we're talking about there's no condemnation. Now, then we're going to morph into no uh, separation. Yeah, but what about all this suffering, Adam? He's saying, that's a proof. That doesn't mean God hates you. That means God's love you. God loves you. We saw that earlier in chapter 5, if you remember. Um, suffering doesn't mean, oh, you know, lately things haven't been going in my life. I got, a, I got a bad report from the doctor. My dog died. My wife is leaving me. Uh, I lost my job. Uh, and you're telling me God loves me? And I'm saying, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It has no, that God at work in your life is a proof that God loves you, not a proof that he hates you. And suffering is part of the proof that he loves us, not that he hates us. The sufferings of this present time, hey, look, at the end of it all, heaven. So you say, is glory going to be revealed to us? Yes, and glory is going to be revealed in us. And this is what God has prepared. Now, not only us, but all of creation understands this suffering. And when I say all of creation, this is kind of like a, I don't know, remember what the word is, where you take an inanimate object and you give it like human characteristics. Personification, I think, is it, maybe. That just came to me. It's probably right, by the way. Um, I learned that in like seventh grade, you know, uh, poetry. I waved my racket at the astonished oaks and the teacher said that's personification. Oaks aren't astonished. The poet's giving, you know, poetic figurative language to, you know. And this is kind of what we're looking at here. Don't think that, I hate stuff like, you see a bumper sticker, uh, we don't... Uh, the earth does not belong to us. We belong to the earth. What? What are you talking about? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it goes on to talk about, like, you know, respect your mother, and it has a picture of the globe. My mom's not a ball of dirt. Oh, I don't know, but no, no. 
But I want you to understand something about the earth, okay? And this is what the Bible has to say. For the creature, verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the creature. Rub out creature and put in creation, because that's what it means there, okay? The earnest, and if you get any other thing but a King James Bible, it will say creation there. For the earnest expectation of the creation waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. The creation doesn't really wait, but it, it does in the sense of, well, let's keep reading. What are you talking about the creation is, is made, is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God? Yeah, who are the sons of God? Uh, you and I, even if you're a guy, uh, sons in the, you know, mankind kind of sense. Sons and daughters, let's say that, and we make everybody happy. We're the children of God, right? And, well, there's other groups that claim to be the children of God also. All people are the children of God. No, no, no. Until we're born again, we're children of Satan. I know that's not politically correct, but if you find, you'll find that it's biblically correct, and there's many passages that support that. We were in bondage to Satan, until which time Jesus liberated us into the glorious life that is found in Christ Jesus. Um, the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Creation's waiting for us to be made manifest, us to be made obvious. Okay, who go, who's God's children? When's that going to happen? Soon. Okay, when? Well, I don't know that. <laughs> Soon. There's going to be a trumpet blast, there's going to be a voice of the archangel, trumpet of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, the dead who rose, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. He saying, is that what's being talked about? Yes, and as we go on, we'll see that. Uh, and creation is earnestly waiting for that moment. You, you call it, we call it the rapture. I wish we didn't. I wish we called it, you say, what, what should we call it? Rapture, it's from the Latin, raptus. Does anyone here read Latin? I never get a hand when I ask that. Hey, I got a great idea. Let's find something in scripture and let's use an obscure Latin word to name it. Because I've talked with people, oh, the rapture isn't in the Bible. No, it's not. The word rapture isn't. The thought of us being caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and ever being with the Lord, that's in Scripture in many places. Typologically and actually, you know, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians 4 are the, are the, are the biggest place. Uh, John chapter 14. Uh, I'm going, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to come again, receive you unto myself. We'll look at it in Titus here this morning. The rapture of the church is, is it's a big, big item. Say, well, if you didn't call it rapture, what would you call that? I would call it, no, just let this, I'm not the world's greatest namer, but I would call it the resurrection. Adam, why would you call it the resurrection? Because um, that's what it is. The dead in Christ shall rise first. What do you call that? I call that resurrection. Dead in Christ rising, that's resurrection. Then we who are alive remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. What's going to happen? Resurrection to us without the benefit of death. Wonderful program. Lord, bring us on even yesterday. I am so, so ready. Uh, and, and creation is waiting for that the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creation was made subject to vanity. Really? Yeah. What's vanity? Fruitlessness, like chasing after the wind, as it's given to us in the book of Ecclesiastes. Something that's like carrying coals to Newcastle, shoveling sand against the tide. Uh, something that's like... Uh, Nothing. There's nothing to it. There's no end game. There's no, it's vanity. And the creation was made subject to vanity. It was not a willing participant. It was dragged into this by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Now, put hope on the back burner for a second. What, why was the creation drug into this, this vain existence? Because the creature itself also 
shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So what happened is, in Eden, man sinned. Right? And God cursed man and woman in childbirth and the ground. Remember? Delightful to work in the garden. Brought forth fruit. Adam had something to do. It was plentiful, bounteous. It was, I don't believe it was hard work. I believe it was, you know, you know, if you love your work, you'll never, if you love going to work every day and love what you do, you'll never work another day in your life. You just go and it's just enjoyable. It's what you want to do with your time all day long. It's a, that would be wonderful. Most of us have jobs that are, uh, Monday morning, uh, peel yourself out of bed, drag a razor across your face or not, and off to work you go, driving through the elements to get to a place where you'd rather not be. That's work. And God said, in this, by the sweat of your face, the sweat of your brow, you'll earn your, your bread. And that's how it's given for mankind to do. And he said, now the ground's not going to be so happy to give you all its produce. It's going to produce thorns and thistles. Thorns are a sign of the fall. Did roses have thorns before the fall? I don't know. I don't, I don't imagine. It's hard to know exactly what happened before the fall. But the fall was so inclusive. It, everything. Think way past what you're thinking now. I think the second law of thermodynamics was introduced in the fall. What's the second law? Everything is moving towards chaos and randomness. The universe is cooling down. It will suffer a heat death at some, at some time. Everything is moving towards chaos. Everything is moving towards randomness. Nothing is getting better. Everything is getting worse. Unless you believe in evolution, then magically the, law of, the second law of thermodynamics is rolled back and mankind is getting better and better and better and better. And now we're going to evolve to something, some creature Human 2.0 will have spindly little arms because we won't use them much in a big head with a huge brain. It will look like some science fiction thing. Oh, it'll be wonderful. If you believe that, second law of thermodynamics, I believe, happened. What was the speed of light before, it was before the fall? Oh, it's the same. Speed of light's a constant. Really? You think so? I don't. <laughs> I mean, I don't, you know, how about those distant light problems, you know, that like people, this is like, this light from this star is 80 billion, you know, light years away. We have to have been around for 80 billion years or that light wouldn't have reached us that we can see it. You ever think of that? Maybe light was a thousand million times faster and it's slowing down like everything else is decaying. I don't know, I'm not an astrophysicist, but I would... I can't imagine anything that's not... Uh, listen, I think our forebears were stronger and smarter than we were. I think we're swimming in the shallow end of the gene pool. Uh, obviously, I don't believe in evolution. And I've seen evidence of de-evolution. Hopefully, I'm not throwing anyone under the bus, or if I am, I'm under there with you. I say all our forebears were smarter, stronger, uh, no, they didn't have access to uh, technologies that we enjoy, but I think they were more robust and lived healthier lives. Um, why didn't they live as long, Adam? Well, they didn't have the, again, technologies. They, they died of simple things like pneumonia. When's the last time you know somebody died of pneumonia? You think about it. Or smallpox, or... Um, so the creatures was, was made subject to vanity. It wasn't willingly went along with this by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption. There's the hope element I told you put on the back burner in verse 20 into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know, we understand this, we know this, okay? For we know the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. The whole of all of creation groans. We know what groan is, right? Um, 
Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, talks about the children of Israel groaning in Egypt under the bondage and the oppression that was theirs in Egypt. We understand that. We understand oppression. And we know what it is to groan under a heavy burden that's ours, either physically or emotionally or any other kind. So we understand groaning. What about travaileth? That talks about childbirth. Uh, I think I got it. I was looking at this earlier. Earlier, Ladies, you can help us out here. Imagine being in transitioning for 4,000 years. Ouch, right? Uh, we know the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. That's the NIV. And Travaileth is talking about childbirth. So it's like the... The world is like experiencing labor pains. And we know labor pains. We haven't, uh, man, we haven't, sympathetically we might get them, but we haven't, we haven't, we don't know, okay? And I, and I for one, am glad. Uh, I, I, I think like women are so much stronger and so much tougher than us in so many ways. And this is like the chief way, right? Uh, I've been part of it. I've been in the delivery room, but I haven't, I haven't experienced it, experienced it. Like, you know what I mean? And we know about this, and men know this, even if we haven't experienced We know that labor pains, they increase in intensity, and the labor pains get closer together the closer you get to childbirth. And that's why, you know, we experience things like more and more earthquakes, more and more horrific events like tsunamis and volcanoes and things like this, as we get closer to the end times. Jesus said, yeah, earthquakes going to increase, uh, famines, and yeah, yeah, we see that. And it seems to me to make sense um, because we're in that, the, the, the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. And not only they, but our, ourselves also. Amen. I mean, I, I don't know labor pain, but I know pain. I, I, yeah, I was 18 once, right? Jumped out of bed and I was ready to run a marathon. Uh, well, maybe not a marathon, but I was, you know, I was physically fit and stuff like that. I don't jump out of bed now, right? I kind of get up and I dangle a little bit, make sure I got all my parts get up. And, and I get up and just snap, crackle, and pop. And, you know, and, and, and I, I, I drive home from work, right? And I almost have to get pride out of the truck. I just, it's just like, like oh, I'm just, it's a comfortable truck. It's a fine truck. It's just, I don't care whatever vehicle I'm in for an hour. And I kind of get, you know, cramped up into that. And then, like, when I, you know, get out and I, I kind of walk across the garage, like, oh, oh, man, oh. And, I, you know, I just so when I come in, I'm my happy, peppy self. And you know what I mean? But I feel like ancient when I get out of the vehicle after I've been in it for a while. Why? The whole creation groans in travail and pain together until now. Not only they, but ourselves also. You live long enough, you'll understand what I'm talking about. You kids, you go like, what are you talking? What are you on about, Gramps? Hey, you live long enough, you'll see what I'm talking about. Um, because it gets worse as you get older. And uh, take care of yourselves. Do that. I'm, 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 and exercise regularly and all that stuff. And the world's going to win and you're going to lose because I don't know many 120-year-olds who are running marathons. It, eventually, gravity's going to take over. Eventually, the world's going to win. We're going to wind down. You may, through nutrition and exercise and things like that, and we should involve ourselves in things like that, you'll, you'll put it off for a while, but you ain't going to put it off forever. You know what I mean? Uh, the whole, uh, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Remember, verse 16, the Spirit itself bears witness. Now this is, we're still spiritual, we're still in God's plan. Through suffering, through uh, being made uh, corruption, through groaning, through travailing, we're still in the Spirit. Not only they, but we ourselves, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. Now, we're talking about redemption. We're not talking about redemption, salvation. That's already happened. But we're talking about the redemption of our body. Give me another word for that, somebody. Resurrection. There it is. Absolutely. That's what we're waiting for. That's what we're... I am. 
Oh, I am. Uh, uh, I, I told you, I'm not the young, spry <laughs> guy I used to be. Now, oh, man. Come, Lord Jesus. I, take us out of here. I, I, I'd love to be 30-something again in a body that never got hungry, never sweat, never groaned, never had a sprain or a cavity. I'd love that. Most of us would, if you thought it all the way through. I say cavity. I was in the dentist chair on Tuesday, $1,900 later, but that's beside the point. He was hours just prying and drilling and, oh, my, ugh. If I never had to go to the dentist again, and he's a fine man. I'm not throwing him under the bus or anything like that. He's a fine man and a fine dentist. But I don't go there to relax. I don't go there to unwind. Hey, I got a dentist appointment. This is going to be great. No, we never do that, right? Uh, we're waiting for the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why does he yet hope for? But if we hope for that which we do not see, then we do it with patience. Then do we with patience wait for it. Adam, I have no idea what you just said. We're not saved by hope, Adam. We're saved by faith. And if this book hasn't told us that, it's told us nothing. No. I mean, yes, we're saved by faith. And that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, so that any man should boast. So there's a grace element built in there, okay? We're saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2.8. But faith is the operative we believe, and that results in salvation. We don't hope, and that results in salvation. Now it's saying we're saved by hope. Yes, the redemption of our body. Because you're already saved. You ask Christ to come into your heart, you're saved. Saved, saved, saved. Couldn't get any more saved. Now what are we talking about? We're saved by hope. The redemption of our body is saved by hope. And we're going to explain hope in a while, but I want, I want to show you what that means. And here, if you go to Titus, chapter 2, verse 11, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Looking for, and this is my life. I don't know if this is your life. This is one of my life verses. I don't know if this is your life verse. It should be one of them. Adopt it. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thing, we talked in the past about Granville Sharp's rule. When there's two nouns and there's a chi and in between them, then those things become the same thing. Like our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the same thing. Jesus Christ is God. He's our great God, and he's our Savior, Jesus Christ. Granville Shop, same thing, right? But that's the second one in the sentence. The first one is the blessed hope and the glorious appearing. That's the same thing. And we're looking for that, breathless, anticipating, looking to the sky. Uh, Any time, Lord, is good with us. Because I want the redemption of my body. I'm, I, everything's groaning. Everything's winding down. Everything's getting worse, including me. So what do I do? I, oh, Lord, come back. I would, not, I, I would like to not go to work uh, in the morning. I would like to be around the throne room in the morning. I would like to have a glorious morning like I've never had before. Uh, I don't want to be uh, worried about, you know, upcoming uh, visit to the proctologist or whatever medical guy who's going to try to extend my life a little. Wouldn't, if, if somebody's suffering from some debilitating cancer or, or something, you know, MS or something that takes your life by degree. We all are. We all are. Some of us have symptoms. Some of us don't. Sin's going to get us all in the end. And I say sin in this sense, the effects of sin, the fall. Adam was designed to live forever. If I say, uh, you have cancer, you must be a sinner. No, <laughs> you're a sinner because you're a sinner. You have cancer because we, you live in a fallen world. 
Okay, that, there's not a cause and effect, but there is in the sense that all sin, all sickness is related to sin, the original sin. Okay, if you have a runny nose, you're a sinner. No, I'm not saying that. If you have a runny nose, you live in a world that's fallen. There's a coming a new world and a new time, and we look forward to that. And this is what it's saying, looking for that blessing hope. Are we supposed to look for that blessed hope? Looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing. Now let's go back and try to define what hope is, the glorious appearing, the blessed hope. The blessed hope means Jesus Christ has come back to redeem us, to take us out of here. For we are saved by hope, physically saved by hope. The blessed hope, that's what it's talking about. We are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why does he get hope for? What is that all about? Well, listen, I, uh, this hope in Scripture, this hope like, I, gee, I, know, I hope I win the lottery. I hope I win the lottery. I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. I, I don't, I'm not going to win the lottery, but I hope I do. You know what I mean? It's, 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 we want something to happen that's improbable and I, we hope that that's going to happen, right? We hope all our friends will get saved. We hope everything, all, and we hope, and, and we hope kind of uphill against what we think is probably going to happen. That's not biblical hope. Biblical hope is an expectation of a future that is going to be. Jesus Christ is going to come back. And he, that's the blessed hope. That's the hope that we're all excited about. Uh, some people aren't excited about Jesus Christ come back. They have their own agenda. Uh, so he won't come back because they don't hope so. <laughs> no, he's coming back. It's a certainty. And it's, so we're talking about something that's going to happen. That's a biblical certainty, but it just hasn't happened yet. We haven't seen Jesus Christ come back yet. That's all it's saying here, okay? Uh, when he does, it won't be a hope. It'll be a, uh, hey, uh, they say uh, Jesus come back. Uh, uh, you bunch of guys. He's right there. What are you talking about? It's not a, okay? Uh, when, when it's that which is seen, it's not hope anymore. But if we hope for that, for that we see not, then do it with, then we with patience wait for it. Uh, I've been patient. Uh, um, I was talking to a worship team earlier. I never thought I'd live this long. I would get a better care of myself. Uh, and by the way, I don't have any... I was talking about the doctors. I don't have any issues, uh, okay? You can pray for me in general, but there's nothing... There's no cancer that I know of. There's no, uh, there's no proctologist visit coming up. I, I, I use these things, but I, I, I'm fine, okay, as far as I know. But I, I say I would have taken better care of myself. I know I live this if I knew I was going to live this long. I thought the rapture would have happened long before now. I, when I got saved in 1980, I couldn't conceptualize a turning of the century. I thought like, wow, Jesus will be back long, long before the calendar clicks over to 2000. And here it is, 2023, and uh, I'm still patiently waiting. What else could you do? I give up. I give up. He's not coming. Well, he's coming. He's just, you can't hurry him. And he's got his own appointment calendar. He's got his own agenda. But I will tell you this, and this is just from my heart. Thinking that he's going to come at any moment has been a real benefit in my life. It's been a real benefit in my life. I don't put things off. I'm not someone who procrastinates. You know, we talked in the past about New Year's resolutions and our inability to keep them, so I don't like to make them. And then on the other hand, if I find out something's wrong in my life in July, I'm not waiting for January to roll around before I address it. Uh, but having this expectation that Jesus could come at any second, it really keeps me out of like real grievous sin. It really does. Uh, if Jesus showed up right now, would I, I want him to find me doing X, Y, Z? <laughs> no. Uh, if he's called me into, to, to this, to do this, what am I waiting for? Let's, do, let's, let's take care of this right now. I think there's a, a real blessing in expecting Jesus to come at any time. 
And if he doesn't, at some point I'll die, and I will show people what death of a Christian looks like. And I will meet it head on, trusting God the whole time. What else would you do? And if Jesus doesn't come back in our lifetime, then death is part of our vocation, part of our calling. And we're going to do that in a manner that glorifies God. Again, I don't have a bad report from the doctor. Don't, nothing like that. Uh, but if we hope for that which we see not, then we do it with, then we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helps with our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. For the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. If I say, okay, let me just say this. How many of you guys are really, really satisfied with your prayer life? Show of hands, please. Let the record show, no hands. None of us are. And I don't want to make you feel guilty. Far be it for me to do that. And if I ask who prays, everyone lifts their hands up. I know that. Even before as a Christian, I prayed. Usually for something stupid like lottery winnings or, or oh, weird things. Or, you know, I get myself in a predicament and then my prayer looked like it's, oh God, 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 oh, God, oh please get me out of this. And, if, and then, of course, there was some promises involved. You get me out of this uh, spot, I'll whatever. I'll go to church every day of my life forever and all these ridiculous things, right? We always prayed. So we have a prayer life. I find myself here very often not knowing what we should pray for as we ought. I told you uh, there was a certain administration here in America, and I don't want to name any names, but I found myself praying, and I found my prayers kept going imprecatory. <laughs> I just, God, break the teeth of the wicked. Uh, not like that, but like, I, I kept, you know, like, remove this miserable, and so I stopped praying for that particular person. Um, we're supposed to pray for our leaders, those who have authority over us. Scripture tells us that. Yes, I know, and I'm not trying to guilt anyone or anything like that. And, but like I say, in this, that time, I, I was really having a very difficult time. Um, but I don't know right now how to pray about administrations, presidential administrations. Lord, save him. That's my heart desire for any president. Lord, Bend him, make him your own, make him malleable by, to the Spirit, and the Spirit would lead this country into ways of righteousness. New revival. That's my heart. Is it credible? Is it real? It's my heart. And God can do anything. Sometimes I don't just don't know how to pray. Very, very, very often. God says, I got you covered, Adam. The Spirit... He's going to pray on your behalf. He's going to make intercession for you with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, some people say this is speaking in tongues, praying in the Spirit. Is in 1 Corinthians 14, we see that phrase, praying in the Spirit, and it's talking about the gift of tongues. Set, absent that, now having said I've always got to say this. I've always got to go through this. I pray in tongues. I believe in tongues. I have no problem with the gift of tongues. This isn't that, okay? This isn't that. Now, if I say this isn't that, I'm like, oh, you're grieving the Spirit. Stop it. I'm not, I don't have a problem with praying in tongues or anything like that. This is not what it's talking about. Because in 1 Corinthians 14, it's talking about praying in an unknown language. What language isn't known by God? Jesus never prays in an unknown language because guess what? He knows everything. He knows our language. I, I'm sure he wasn't English. He knows English. I don't have to learn Paleo-Hebrew to speak to God, okay? Kind of good, right? The Spirit of God is, we, we couldn't even say it or couldn't even groan like this. He's talking to God on our behalf in a way that we couldn't even utter. 
I, I know a little bit about little bit about this. Um, so I talked to Suze, and she can finish my sentences, and vice versa. We've been married forty-four years. Married couples can do that. We don't have to communicate. We don't have to use words. Uh, somebody's saying something, and I get this. She gets this look, and she looks at me, and I, I, I I'm feeling you, babe. I get it. I know. I know. Right. Right? You married couples, somebody nod your head. Yeah, I know, I know what you're talking about. We, we, we get that same thing. We, get that, we don't even have to use words anymore in, in a lot of our... Uh, but we use them anyway, and it's a good thing. And men probably should use more words. They like that. Uh, women in general like us to speak to them. Uh, she, she wants to know how my day went. Um good. That's not what she wants to hear. Uh, but it's so dull. It's so mundane. I, I'm an electrician, for goodness sake. I went, uh, yeah, what'd you do today? Um, put up conduit. I kind of ran out of gas. That's all I got. I mean, you know, but I can tell her something interesting in the discussion I had. She loves that. I was arguing this guy about, you know, he's a non-believer and he, and we had this and I said that he's, and she loves that stuff. And of course she does. She loves she wants to be part of my life. But we have this nonverbal communication. Well, the Spirit of God, God the Spirit, talks to God the Father in a way that we can't, but they understand each other. And what it is, is like, I'm saying, uh, um, Lord, I want to win the lottery. I keep bringing the lottery up. I don't play the lottery. You guys all know that. Uh, Lord, I want to win the lottery. And the Spirit of God um, saying to the Father, yeah, give him wisdom in his finances. Help him to be a regular giver. Uh, help him to steward his money properly. Uh, and it, it, he's saying things. Uh, help him to be, have patience. To, and, and all these things that he's saying, well, I want to win the lottery. He's saying, no, 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 no. This is what we want. And the Spirit of God is saying, no, this is what you need. You, you think, uh, if God gave us everything we wanted, we'd, that would not, oh, that would be not pretty. We wouldn't be good people. He's saying, this is what you need. This is what's going to bring you about and the changes in you that are going to be more and more like Jesus Christ all the time. I don't even know how to pray those things. God's saying, don't you worry about it. I do. God, the Spirit in me says, I got you, Adam. I got you. So we're going through this section. Uh... Uh, trouble in my life. God's saying, yeah, I know, I'm all over that. Lord, I'm getting older, I'm getting weaker. It's, it's harder to... Yeah, I got, I got you, Adam. Redemption of the body. Uh, oh, all these... Lord, I want this, I want this, I want this. And God's saying, oh, I got you, Adam. I got, see, you see how it's, it's, it's non-obvious at the beginning, but this is all God's work in us to bring about the changes in us that are going to be the most Christ-like, that are going to be the most be beneficial. We're going someplace. Verse 28, we're not going to get there. This, we're ended now, okay? We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the call according to his purpose. Who's that? Everyone who's saved, right? For whom he did foreknow, who's that? He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he, his son, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. We're going to a place. It's not even heaven. It's not even a physical location. It's the, of course we are, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the, our, our, the end of our journey is the image of Jesus Christ. And the Spirit of God is a work in our lives to bring about changes in us that will bring us to that place. And that's the exciting part of this, this whole passage here. Yes, suffering. It makes us more Christ-like. Yes, groaning. Oh, that, that, that. So I get out of the Jeep at the end of the day. I get out of the truck and I'm just like, oh, oh, oh. Not, not after the rapture. Things like Jeeps will be obsolete. I don't need a vehicle to get around. Who does that in heaven, right? Bring your Cadillac up there. It'll look like a bucket of bolts. It, 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 it's, it, it's obsolete. God's got such a better plan for us. And my body running down reminds me that God's got something so much better planned for us. And our prayer life. I know it's not what it's supposed to be. It is as far as God's concerned. 
Well, I don't pray as much as I ought to. Yeah, the Spirit of God does. I don't even know what I'm supposed to be asking. Yeah, the Spirit of God does. God's got, look at salvation. You hadn't, there's nothing. You can't figure out a pot that I missed, God saying. I got it all. I've got a plan. I've got it all dialed out. I, got, I haven't missed anything. I've, I've, I've got salvation coming and going. I've got a wonderful plan for your life. Now, stay with me one more point. We think we have a plan for our life. It is miserable by comparison. I don't want God in my life. I don't want God controlling me. I want to control my own self to your detriment, to your... I know people who are running their own life, and I always ask them, how's that going? And they always talk about a future when it will get better. It won't. It won't. We do God's will, it gets, it's good. We do our will, it's horrific. The worst thing that could happen to me is I get to, I get to be in charge of what goes on in my life. Uh, God says, I've given you free will. Thanks? No. <laughs> no. I, no. Lord, thank you, but I, I know what that looks like. I've, I've been there, done that. Bought the t-shirt. You run my life. Okay? Because it will end up in great places. For whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. I don't want, I want people to not be able to, I want people to mistake me for Jesus Christ. Is that happening yet? No, because I'm not yielding to the spirit enough. As he controls me, it's going to be more and more reality all the time. Let's stand, let's pray. Sorry for going over three minutes. It'll never happen again. Lying, lying, lying. <laughs> let's pray. There's a wonderful section of scripture, Father. I don't know that I did it justice. I don't think I ever do, but it's wonderful the things that you have prepared for those who love you. And Lord, you know salvation better than we know salvation. There's probably some of us who still haven't yielded to you our lives or, or the totality of our lives. Lord, help us to do that. Help us trust you more. Trust ourselves less. Now may the Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Amen.